Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Raphael. I'm so thankful you're here with me. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Let's take a breath together. Breathe in through your nose and gently release. How's your heart doing? My heart is at ease, which is good. Always. What can you thank COVID for? That is a good question. COVID has been such a multifaceted event. I think for me, I can thank COVID for helping me see with more clarity who we are as, as, as a collective of beings and as individuals. I think in some cases, it opened my eyes to to the way people are in the presence of adversity and fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, from on a good side on a, and, and on the bad side. Uh, but it also, it, it helped me see myself as an individual who is interested in this path of continuous self-education and learning and growth. I've always been, I shouldn't say always, but as of recently in the past, say, 10, 15 years, I've been very, very focused on trying to learn and trying to grow and trying to become more. And with COVID, I think not only that was enhanced, but it was also fine-tuned because it helped me understand that there are some areas that are more important than others in the path of growth and learning. And, and obviously, trying to be connected, more aware, more conscious is, is of greater importance to me than it ever was. Do you mind sharing what you found, those, those places that were more important for you? Yes, absolutely. So I was always curious about the heart problem of consciousness, if you will, as, as, as some people talk. I follow folks like like Sam Harris, uh, he talks a, a lot about that. And it was a curiosity to talk about consciousness, talk about the self and free will. But it, it wasn't something that I was diving into um, as I am now. I was curious, I was interested, but it wasn't something that I was reading or studying as a vehicle to get to know myself better. And with COVID happening, it created a necessity for me to pivot and to really look at what I wanted to be doing and why. Similarly, you know, I follow Simon Sinek and he talks about start with why. And prior to COVID, I thought I had a why pretty clearly defined in my head. And it turned out that it wasn't. I, I had an idea of what my why was. But it turns out that it that I didn't really. Uh, so with COVID, those two uh, elements of of what I was doing, one of them is being focused on who I am um, and, and what I'm able to do, and the other one being the why I'm doing what I'm doing became subjects that I needed to dive in a bit more deeply. You recently founded a company. Could you share with the listeners the name of it and what it is? The name of the company is Canarium. 
Um, canarium is, is a word, is a Latin word that, that means pine cone, and it references uh, the pineal gland, at least in my, my interpretation of it. Uh, I see the pineal gland as being an interesting gland in the human body because throughout history, it seems like all civilizations have been very interested and intrigued by the pineal gland. You know, some people thought it was the, the seat of the soul. Some people thought it was uh, where, where God existed or where uh, there was all, all kinds of different spiritual connotations, you know, the third eye, et cetera, et cetera. And canarium exists because I want to be able to bridge elegantly ancient wisdom and proven science and meet in the middle in a, in a ground of common sense. And uh, I, so I, wanted, I was looking for something that had foundations in ancient wisdom, but also something that was scientific. Um, and you know, it's like a very important gland in the endocrine system. So check that box. Um, it also had a lot of different connotations uh, metaphysically. Uh, historically with different civilizations. So check that box. And I just like the name. And I started it pre-COVID with an entirely different goal and mission uh, than what it is today in an entire different approach. And at the end of the day, I shouldn't say entirely. I mean, at the end of the day, I wanted to help people, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that is still obviously true. It was how to go about doing that, that changed quite dramatically when COVID hit. Initially, we wanted to do retreats, create spaces for people to truly allow themselves to heal. Spaces where people could go and experience an awakening of the senses and the spirits, if you will. Not that places like these don't exist, I just had a little bit of a different idea on how I wanted those spaces to look and operate. I had business partners, we were ready to go and we didn't pull the trigger and it was a blessing. Imagine, you know, trying to invest, you know, a significant chunk of money uh, in, in opening a location that then you cannot use because no one is coming. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's important to, it taught me a lesson in patience um, throughout the process of getting that started, I, I grew impatient on why we weren't moving faster than we were. And when COVID hit, it was evident why we weren't moving as fast as I wanted to move. So I was grateful for that. And of course, my business partners were grateful too. And everybody is now doing, doing their own thing and, and everybody's happy. And we, we are all happy that we didn't get stuck in a, in a situation that would have been quite uncomfortable financially, not being able to capitalize on what we did. I mean, even still today, it would have been difficult to start getting people uh, to go to these places. So what I do now is a little bit different, still the same goal, but what I'm trying to do is just help people understand that they could make changes on a daily basis, small changes. Um, and that consistency uh, through those small changes can lead to amazing results and those changes come with education, come with, you know, introspection, um, self-scrutiny, and the ability to, to be honest with oneself and have a plan for uh, that to lead to a, 
a better life that is actually measurable that you can feel. Open up a little bit more on self-scrutiny. I haven't heard somebody say it that way. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, self-scrutiny. Well, um, I think that where that comes from, in fact, I actually, let me clarify, I actually know where that comes from. That's actually a very, um, a very religious, religiously loaded way of looking at things. I'm not a very um, religious person. I'm a very spiritual person. But growing up Catholic, you know, which I am very thankful for, uh, there is a process of of self scrutiny um, when you're going through the process of repenting about something and trying to seek for forgiveness. And the forgiveness is, a, in many ways, at least in my mind, is a, is a two way process. Is versus uh, recognizing that something happened that I need to be aware of the impact that it had on someone else, right? Um, that awareness requires observation. And that observation needs to be honest. And that's where scrutiny comes from, is just to be able to break down as an observer of myself, my thoughts and feelings and emotions, and then the resulting action of all of the above, right? So I thought, you know, a thought, you know, I believe that our thoughts are not ours, you know, they just kind of come and go, and we just are basically observing them come and go. But if we indulge in a thought that could then potentially generate a feeling, and then indulging over time in that feeling and create an emotion, and then all of those can create then actions, and those actions have an impact on the consequence of the people that surround us. So well, how, how do I, it's very easy for me to observe that in others you know i tell my friends that you know you 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 we all have the solutions for everybody else's problems because you it's obvious you can see people you can see what they're doing you can see the consequences you can see their reactions you can see everything that's going on well the only way i can provide that service to myself is if i turn this around and i become the observer of myself and i scrutinize my thoughts my feelings my emotions and my actions, it's a very humbling process. Uh, it's not very easy. Sometimes you, know, you don't end up where you want to because the ego gets in the way. But I think it's the only really true way to, to be able to, to evolve. This is to truly take, I don't want to say I'm a scientific approach, but a methodical approach in the observation of oneself. When you go through that self-scrutiny, um, I'm taking it that you do it on your own. Do you also use somebody else to be able to have that feedback or a sound barrier to speak out your emotions or thoughts or experiences to get to that honesty? I, I think it's uh, it requires both, but in a sequential way. I need to be, at least again, and, and I'm not uh, pretending that that the way that I'm doing this works, you know, well for everybody. This is just my approach to the way mm -hmm. that I uh, I'm trying to live, and it's a process, and it's changing. And at some point, I will make adjustments. But the way that I do this now is, is I always start on my own in silence, and I only reach out to people whom I trust once I've gotten to a level of honesty with myself. If I'm lying to myself, then talking to someone else is just gonna 
lift up my ego and potentially create an uncomfortable conversation with us someone because I, I just can't possibly let go. The ego is trying to protect me and I, I, I don't, I'm not in a good space to be able to have that conversation, even if it's someone who's trusted. So I need to do some work first on my own in silence with my thoughts, observing myself, observing my feelings, observing how a thought changes my heart rate and why. In the, in the event that somebody did something or somebody said something about myself, um, something about me, and, and that had an impact, right? Just to give an example, I can't possibly go talk to a friend or a, or, or, or a family member, you know, the people that are closest to me, uh, because the, 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 the most likely outcome, let's just say somebody did or said something about me. And I haven't had the opportunity to sit with that and, and, and listen to myself and take it all apart and deconstruct it into a way that now it can, I can use those learnings as something useful. If I don't do that first and I go to, to, a, to, 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 a, to a close uh, family member or, or a friend, the high likelihood of, of that becoming a, a bashing session on whoever did whatever is, is, is very high. Right? And then what we've done, we've done nothing. We've, we've accomplished nothing. So uh, it's a little bit of both. And um, again, you know, sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. And I find when it doesn't is, is when I'm not fully ready to, to have that conversation because I haven't done the work myself. Yeah. Um, being with our authentic emotions, the majority of us have no idea what they are. It, it's we put on masks, we put on filters, and we have this thought of what we think we're feeling. But to feel our authentic emotions, it takes that stillness and that silence and that deconstruction of no more BSing yourself. Like, let's confront it, let's face it. Yet it's work because there's a physiological impact that goes on inside the body. Like you said, the heart rate can go up. Your nervous system is going all in the defense and everything else. So being aware of the processes of what, you know, what is physiologically going on inside. And it is in your head uh, when people are like, oh, it's not in your head. It is in your head and it's being processed through the body, which you're not used to having that full connection, uh, that full um, guidance of listening to those messengers and listening to that information. How do you support your mental health? I try to do a, a fair amount of uh, meditation. And I say fair because we you know sometimes we do good and sometimes we don't. Right? You know, I try to I try to to, to meditate uh, daily. Um, that 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 is the beginning and and the end of my day. Uh, I find out that. When I don't, things have an opportunity to not be observed in a healthy way. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, I, the people that I follow and read have taught me that the world is not the way it is. The world is how you see it. If that is true, then it is fully my responsibility to be in a, in, in a good state of observation and awareness to make sure that I see the best in the world and not get caught up in all, all the potential things that can bring us down. 
So if if it is true that the world is is the way it is and not um, it's not the way it is, but it is uh, how we perceive it and how we see it, then I need to make sure that I do two things: that I bring my best sense of calmness and awareness to the world every day at every moment, and also to educate myself. And this this is where where again that that bridge of ancient wisdom and, 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 and scientific knowledge that I, I try to, to straddle. You know, we know from ancient wisdom that, that, that meditation and that introspection and prayer and all these tools uh, are available to us, have a purpose and have uh, a value. But if we fast forward to today and we, and we start looking at some of the neuroscience, that, that work that has been done, I'm a big fan of Dr. Lisa Fallon Barrett and, and her book, How Emotions Are Made. Then you can actually follow the, the, the scientific track that actually goes very well with that ancient wisdom of meditation, which is what you're seeing is just an interpretation of what's out there. And if you want that to be better, then you need to be prepared to observe it with different sets of eyes. So uh, what supports my mental health is, is I, I, I try to do, uh, give myself that time in the mornings and in the evenings, and if, uh, sometimes both, sometimes I miss, you know, sometimes you're running around and then you pay the price. And I try to, to read uh, a variety of books that support what it's like to be a, a good, contributing member of society, right? And, and some of those books are biographies of people that you admire. Some of them have to do with neuroscience. Some of them have to do with history. Just try to spread it out. Some of them are about technology and have the good use of it. And just try to get it to that cadence, that daily cadence of investing a few minutes. It doesn't have to be a ton. Just 10, 15 minutes a day to be able to, to get ready to address and observe the world. I don't, I don't like, I used to say, get ready to tackle the world. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not doing any tackling anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I'm getting prepared to observe the world. Yeah, I, I, uh, I understand what you mean about that energy of ha- feeling the necessity to tackle something, to get something, to achieve something. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 just sit back and flow through it. Like be in the wave of it, observe it. Don't be apprehensive in having to um, that type of proactive and be prepared and do this. And it's like, ah, uh, you know, you're creating a lot of anxiety for the unknown and you're trying to control the unknown and what possibilities are. I recently seen on your social media that you travel a lot. Would it be fair to say that that is important to you? It's of utmost importance, I should say. Um, I don't think, I've been very fortunate. Uh, A lot of the travel, in fact, the vast majority of that travel was for work. In my previous career, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an engineer by schooling and I did telecommunications for 25 years. And um, I was just so lucky. I mean, it, what an opportunity to 
to travel to other countries and work with other people um, trying to solve technological problems that are serving the masses. And it's not the best way to see the world because you're busy and sometimes you don't have time to really see the places that you're, you've been. But it is, a gr- it is a good way to see the world. The, the, the network of people that I met, the understanding. I'm a very curious person. So I remember one of my, my, very, my very first major trip was to Japan. And I was, I was in Osaka for close to six months uh, working on a project there. That, uh, that opened my eyes. I mean, how these people are and, and how they live and what they value. Right. It gives you the opportunity to, to ask questions. Why do you think this? Why do you do this? You know, and asking not, not as a judgment, but asking and in, in, you're really truly trying to understand who they are so that you can have a connection. And I found out that they really appreciated that. They really appreciated my interest in who they were. Right. And I made long lifelong friends. I still stay in touch with that. Was, this was in 1997, 98 when I did this first, you know, big trip, of course, you know, moving to the United States, what's, was also a big thing. I'm from Panama originally. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Panama and I came here to go to college, uh, in the, in the very early nineties. And without that, um, point of observation, without that, that opportunity to see humans, because at the end of the day, we're all humans. You know, we all want to be heard, want to be seen, and want to be loved. Right? That's that's you know, humanity. We all we all have that in common. But to see how different people go about doing that, you know, all over fifty plus countries that I've been lucky enough to visit, and being able to make different types of connections, I would not be the person I am today um, without that and then of course you see beautiful places and you try different foods you know and 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 you see historical landmarks that are phenomenal it is i learned to love it so i did it more and more i took my family and children to uh, to many wonderful places and my wife and, and my kids you know my kids were little and they had passports and they they went everywhere you know um you know so it was it was an important thing for me. It is still of, of greatest importance to me because I want to be, I want to see the world. Uh, and in 55 countries seems like a lot, but it's, it's, it's still one third. <laughs> there's still a lot more and there's still, still so many other people. And there's still within those countries, some of them I only visited one city, right? And there's so much more to see. So yes, I do love travel. Uh, I embrace it. I, 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 I get excited about it. But I get excited about it because I know that wherever I go, I am going to bring something back. I am gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see something. I'm gonna see or feel something that I can make a little bit of that part of me, and hopefully, I can leave some of me with the people that I meet. And I, and you know, isn't that a beautiful thing? It is. It is. It's the uh, diversity. And that's kind of like that pollination. 
where bees are going from flower to flower, yet you need that pollination and we need that diversity of, let me share a bit of your culture and intake it so I can bring it to somewhere else and share that energy. Because for me, how I see with our human beings and our nervous system, it's an energy transference. Yes, we're, we're taking action, we're helping building things, yet at the, the deep core of it, it's the transference of energy and how we're, we're feeling, how we're, you know, sometimes we can be around people and we may not have the verbiage, but we have a sensation and a feeling that just opens up a different type of wins, wisdom, a different type of knowledge within ourselves. And once we, you know, when you go into the sacred texts and when you go into neuroscience and you start, you know, to recognize that every, you know, different um, facet is saying the same thing, but just in a different language. It's recognizing we're all one mind. We're all interconnected. Yet that interconnectedness and that one mind sees things in different ways. And it's our responsibility as the I to communicate with the other. And that is an ongoing process. And what I see is evolving in the the, the generations now and, and what we are in right now is emotions are starting to be communicated, which were not communicated before. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to develop the language for that develop the time and the processes for that and not be so fixated on the behaviors and wondering, well, why are people behaving? It's like, wait, have we even asked about the emotions? Have we even asked about what is going on internally? What is up with the nervous system? What has it recorded? And what is it still processing that has been imprinted? So this is where I appreciate that these conversations now with science and the wisdom and everything that we're starting to understand, like we have a very mighty, powerful system within the human body, which is that nervous system. And it is, biology always trumps. No matter what you want to try and do, if the ego wants to take hold, it's going to take you on a doozy. It's recognizing how do I understand my triggers and how do I understand how to use this energy? Because when I hear this language about the death of the ego and get rid of the ego, and it's like, you still need a persona to travel through the world. Like it, you want to be human. Like it's, you're here to have a human existence. It's also understanding you need your honesty. You need to understand who you are at the core. What, what is your purpose? And, you know, also wrestle with when people are trying to find out the meaning of life, the simplicity of it is, are you willing to live with the uncertainty, with the yeah. pain, with the confusion, the chaos, the the accolades, the disappointments, like all of it. It's just the meaning is, are you willing to show up? Yeah, uh, you, you've touched on a, a several um, very interesting points, um, you know, when you when you talked about uh, how we we tend to ask why why is this person this way why is this person that way there's a great book i highly recommend that you probably have already read it it's called um it's by oprah uh, winfrey and dr bruce perry mm-hmm. and um it's called um what happened to you i actually uh 
it's a great book to actually listen to because they have a conversation between the two of them. So it's it's one of those rare books that's actually probably better to to listen audio. to. Than, yeah, the audio book, right? Because yeah. it's, it's fascinating. And it's it's also a difficult book because for me it was difficult because Dr. Bruce Perry is a, is a well-known uh, doctor and he focuses on, on child trauma. So some of the stories are just gut-wrenching, you know? And even Oprah herself, her story, uh, you know, her beginnings are are, are difficult, you know, to um, to listen to without feeling that pain, right? But that that switch, that switch of saying, "What's wrong with you?" to what happened to you, which is the the essence of 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 their book. Again, now, same behavior, but you are processing it and perceiving it with a different set of lenses, right? So now you can understand this is not about me. It's about the process this individual has gone through from birth till today. All those initial conditions that are completely different than mine, all those situations, all the trauma, right? Because trauma, you know, people... People hear the word trauma and they immediately associate it with really bad things. But birth is a traumatic process for the baby. We are born. I think it's Dr. Nicole Lepera who talks about this. It's like, you know, trauma is trauma. And it's, it's, it's just things happening and you're reacting to it. Some things are really big, but sometimes they're small. Still, you have uh, things residue of that that need to be dealt with, right? So to, to be able to to read a book like that and understand some of the science behind it and say, oh my God, you know, that gives me a tool now that I can use to address people and, and be more empathetic, more compassionate. It's not easy. It's, it's still very hard because we're judgmental beings, right? But it, it gets the process going. It gets the process of looking at someone else and start walking a path of eventually no judgment, right? Or not no judgment, but eventually limited or minimal judgment, right? And that's progress so that you know that resonated with me what you said that and also um i, I mentioned um uh dr uh, lisa feldman barrett who wrote the book how emotions are made is, is a phenomenal book and in that book she's she's a neuroscientist you know so it's, it's all you know about you know how the brain works and she says something that just blew me away she says you realize that the left eye does not see the exact same thing as the right eye does. And that what happens is, is because of the separation between the two eyes, you know, the brain has to extrapolate and create the reality that we see. And similarly, because of our backgrounds, you know, we, you grew up in a completely dif different Petri dish than I did. Yeah. Uh, I've expanded my Petri dish over my lifetime, you know, with respect, if I compare myself to other members of my family, because I was able to travel, right? I was fortunate enough to be able to travel, right? So I have all, all these other initial conditions. But what she said was, you know, we, there's no such thing as subjectivity because no two people can see the exact same thing when they observe a situation, the best we can do is agree that the best course of action is A, B, and C. But we've started from a point where we were not even seeing the same thing. 
right? So this idea that, you know, um, that, that we, that, that the ego, right, uh, needs to be, you know, dead and that, you know, things need to be, you know, so square and black and white. There's a whole lot of gray because the brain all it's doing is reacting, you know, to everything that's happening, you know, and the way mine reacts is different than the way yours reacts. And all we can hope is that we can find a common ground, right? A midpoint where we can say, I can say, you know what, I'm okay with this. And you can say, I'm okay with that. And now we can move on to the next topic. Right. So it's so I wouldn't know any of that if I didn't sit down and invest the time in trying to read some of these, some of these people who have dedicated their lives. And I'm a rookie at all this, you know, I'm, I'm an amateur at all this, you know, I'm just, just dabbling in the surface, trying to, trying to dig up tools that then I can use in my daily life. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the third thing, you know, you know, to, just to close that your comments was, um, I forget who, who, who actually said this, but uh, one of these, you know, modern neuroscientists that are writing all these books, they said, people don't realize that, that the brain didn't just develop new areas of cognition in the presence of new social problems, right? When you look at the history of mankind and you look at how the world has changed in the past 5,000 years versus the amount of time man has been around earth. The brain has no other choice but to reuse areas of cognition that were meant to address problems that no longer exist the way they existed thousands and thousands of years ago. So when somebody, you know, triggers me or I allow myself to be triggered, the ego steps in because its job is to protect me. The ego has a purpose. Right, the ego is there to protect us, so that you protect you, protect me, so that it, we don't end up in situations that could be harmful for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But you know, it is actually a somewhat primitive mechanism when you see how the world that it is today, with just in my lifetime, you know, the world has changed so much. And my kids tell my kids are you know grown up, and they tell me, you know, you don't understand you know, what we're going through because you didn't grow up with these things. And I think about that and say, they are right. I, I grew up with different sets of social problems in the, in the seventies and eighties. Right. But there was no internet. There was, you know, there was, you know, it was a lot of bullying. In fact, there wasn't even a word for bullying. <laughs> it was just so prevalent, yeah. but, but their brains have to find ways to deal with these things in a such such a short amount of time from an evolutionary perspective. So all I can do is just reuse what already exists to deal with these new social problems, these new family problems, these new problems in the workplace. The workplace has changed. So unless we take the time to really observe our machinery, if you will, how we work, how we process thoughts, you know, uh, Dr. Um, Dan Siegel wrote a book called Mindsight, which is it's such a powerful book. It talks about this, you know, and it's like, oh my God. So I can, if I step back and I just know that this person is going through a process, that process output is, is I got yelled at. <laughs> okay, well, now I have to engage in my process so that I can do something positive of or not do anything at all with that 
that came from that person. And how empowering is that to actually have that knowledge at your fingertips that today you can go Google things and you can learn what I couldn't learn about the human brain 30, 40 years ago when I was, you know, 10 years old, mm-hmm. right? It's so, I, I feel excited. Um, in the time that we live right now, because we have access to all these things. Um, but I also, I also sometimes feel a little sad that even though the information knowledge is available, um, it's, it, it, it's not being accessed as much, right? And that's why I do what I do to try to, to make it more accessible. Yeah, that's the reason why I started having these kind of podcasts with people um, where others could relate with them. Because when you hear the experts and the professionals, it's like, oh, okay. Yet the people that are really utilizing the information, like it's attainable. You don't need to be going to school to study this, to finally say, well, let me do my my work. You actually can do self, you know, discovery. You can self-teach yourself. And uh, I'm 100% with you. I don't know how this, like I have young ones that are going to be 12 next month. And I'm like, most of the times I don't even know how to relate. I don't even know, you know, the way their brains are going and how fast and because technology and, and all that and understanding like it has an impact on our receptors, on our brain. Yet, how do we evolve in this and how do we communicate? And to go back to um, what happened to you, the book from um, Oprah and Dr. Perry, I also have my own theory. I had lesions in my cerebellum and brainstem. I came close to death and really had to interact with my nervous system. And what I came to discover for myself is trauma and our self-protection and defense mechanisms. It's how we interpret and how we identify with fear and pain. And so all of a sudden when fear comes, there's a narration that, that starts to start talking and interprets what this experience is. And mm-hmm. some highly evolved people can realize, no, this isn't about me. It's something else. Yet the majority of us are like, oh, it's something we did and we don't want this experience anymore. Not understanding, well, the nervous system is built out of fear. It's there to protect you. And it's trying to, you know, help you to navigate through this experience. So sometimes you disassociate or you shut down, yet it's having that integration of, of talking about. So, you know, it's not that what's wrong with you. And again, I would even go further. It's not what happened to you. It's how did you interpret this stuff? How did you identify with it? And how are you cutting yourself off from feeling and being in the body? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very, uh, very lucid statement, right? I think that um, there's a movie. I'm a big fanatic of movies. I love movies, good ones. <laughs> Me too. There's a movie called A Beautiful Mind with Russell oh. Crowe. Yeah. I, my mother, let me, I just have to, my mother was like, I want to go see this movie. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't even know nothing about this, but let me appease my mom. She wants to go see something. I go, I had no idea about what this movie was. So what a beautiful thing when you go into a movie, no critics, no kind of analogy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the way that they storytelled and, you know, displayed schizophrenia and 
what it, how the mind can fragment in these amounts. It was like a masterpiece of doing that. And the acting was phenomenal of that too. Yeah, no, it was a beautiful movie and a true story, of course, of Professor, uh, Professor Nash in Princeton. But there's a scene in the movie that I, I, I use a lot um, when I'm having conversations with my family and friends about these types of topics, which is where, where he had, of course, he was, he was struggling with, with his disease, right? And, and, and how it was affecting his life and his wife. And they, they had a baby and he had the baby in the, in the, in the tub and, and he got distracted because of the, 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 the people he saw, you know? And of course his wife's like enough, you know, I'm leaving you, I'm taking the baby and she's driving away in the rain. And then he stops her and he says, she doesn't age. And he was talking, of course, of the girl that has been in his mind, you know, this had been going for years that he had been seeing these characters in his in his mind and he was telling everybody i know these people and people are like who you're seeing ghost visions these people don't exist but he had a moment of lucidity he realized that this person had been in his life for years and yet she's still the same age and what i tell in myself you know and i tell you know when I, we were having you know, these types of discussions with other people that are, that I, that I, that I admire is, is we all have those moments of lucidity where we're lucid, right? What matters is, is what do we do, right? What do we do once we had that lucid moment is, is what really has the potential to, to make, uh, impactful changes in our lives and we have the responsibility to ourselves when we see that clearly even if it's for a fraction of time to then take that and run with it which is what he did he realized she can't be real she doesn't age i have issues i'm gonna go address this and i'm gonna create a methodology around me he changed his environment right he changed the way he approached life he had people he trusted. And every time somebody new came, he's like, do you see this person? Does this person exist? Okay, now we can talk, right? I mean, it, genius, ah, brilliant, right? It's just just the ability to take that moment of the city and then do something, right? So loved what you said, and it reminded me of that. Sorry, I kind of went on, a, no, on a, little, a little trail there. This is where it can make sense to people where we drift off, but we use storytelling like this, like more and more when I'm, you know, growing, I'm like, everybody's just really doing a lot of storytelling and trying to make sense of how do we support our well-being? How, how do we support homeostasis? Because when people are talking about peace and serenity and calm, it's actually when you're in homeostasis and the body is communicating and harmonious and functioning, you're, you're at a high energy vibrating and everything's okay. But when you're not in homeostasis, Hey, uh, you're irritated. You don't got patience. You're short fused. You're projecting all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, Oh, the peace, it's like, okay. So homeostasis, because Mm -hmm. when the whole body's communicating, you're able to function and you're able to be present with other people. So I, I thank you for, you know, tying beautiful mind into that. Because like I said, like, there's a lot of people saying a lot of things, 
And then it, it can distract a person. Yet the responsibility is, how are you taking control of your perception? How are you being with your emotions? Are you listening to them as messengers or are you cutting yourself off of that? And what I know to be true is our emotions are are our compass. They're not, they're just, they're information. They're not there to tell you to be reactive and take direction. It's just messages of information and they're valid for you. You're okay to listen to that. You're jealous. Okay. It's healthy. It's all right to envy somebody else, to go and harm somebody or belittle them, to make them feel the same. No, that's not it. Yet to be jealous or envious. Yes. Listen to that. It's possibly because you want to do and you're, you know, you're not doing it. Thank you for this conversation and being open um, yes, to the discussion. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I love what you said. I think, I, I think it was a few weeks before the holidays. I, I saw a meme. I love memes. You know, so I know some people, you know, you know, think that, you know, to, to put quotes out there for people to read is, is a waste of time, but I actually do love memes. You know, it, it's, it's, you never know what you're going to read in what moment that could help you have that moment of lucidity. Yeah. That, we, that we just talked about, but there was a meme, and I'm paraphrasing it, um, that emotions and, and feelings are good consultants, but very poor CEOs, right? And for people who have been in corporate America or in, you know, in corporate anywhere in the world, that if paints a very clear picture because yes, it, it's just like you said, it points to something that you need to work on. It's like a flashlight. There's where you need to work on right there. You're, you're jealous. Well, that's where you need to put the work, right? So it's a healthy thing. It's, it's a part of you. It's a mechanism. It's a tool. It's an observation. Now, what are you going to do? And, you know, all of us, you know, you know, you and me and everybody that, you know, um, is, you know, of our age, you know, that, when you have a consultant, I used to be a consultant in, in my career and you know, my customers, they listened to my advice, but they didn't really have to do anything I told them, right? That's the, the role of a consultant. It's like, okay, we have this problem. What should we do? And I go and I said, okay, I think, you know, after studying for whatever long that you should do A, B, and C. And they like, thank you very much. And then I walk out the door and my company gets paid. They don't have to do anything. That's just another input, right? And if they don't do what I say and I feel offended, then I'm, I'm the one with the issue, right? So we should, tri- it, it, sometimes it's, it's helpful to trivialize who we are using these kind of examples, the storytelling that, that you're talking about, because it helps, it helps us see the beauty of who we are and that I'm not trivializing it, that it's not difficult because it is difficult being a human at times. Um, but we have the ability to ease that difficulty by how we choose to observe what we choose to do in those moments of lucidity and then how, to, how we choose to go back to review what we've done so that we can make future adjustments and continue walking on whichever path we're choosing to walk. I'm going to bring you into a reflective question. I'm going to ask you to take your awareness right now and go back to your 18-year-old self. And you have 
three words you can tell your 18-year-old self. It either can be in a way of a phrase or three individual words. What would they be? Oh, wow. Okay. Just in three words. (laughs) Take your Um, time. It's reflective. Yes. Yes. Um, I think the first word would be question more. My 18-year-old version was very very sure of what I knew and how I thought the world worked. The, the second uh, word would be pay attention. That's not one word, but I mean attention, I guess. I was just go, 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 and stuff was passing by and I was missing a lot. And the third word would be patience. The 18-year-old version of me had so much to prove so quickly, right? That didn't question enough things about myself and the world, didn't pay enough attention to the things that were happening, that were working and that weren't working, and didn't realize that some things seemed like they were working, but they actually weren't. And I didn't have enough patience. I needed to succeed. I needed to, I I came from a different country. I came to the United States legally. I wanted to do everything by the book, by the law, but I wanted to prove, (laughs) talk about ego. I wanted to prove that I belonged here. I wanted to prove that I was as good as anybody here. Um, And when you, when you do that, you know, you don't have, um, I mean, it worked in a kind of a certain way. I mean, I, I'm, I've been very fortunate. You know, I've been very lucky. I'm very blessed. But there was a lot of things that I missed, you know, a lot of self-inflicted pain that I caused on myself and, and pain that I caused to others as well. Um, because I was just, are you coming with me? I'm going there. You going? You coming? Then get on because I'm going. Right. And not taking the time to evaluate, to question, to pay attention, and then to give myself the time to be able to, uh, to review what's going on, it would have saved me a lot of, it would have saved me a lot of heartache, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think. I know, I know I, I I've, I've listened to other conversations, um, uh, and it's, it's, it's a question that comes up. What would you tell your yourself, your youngest version of you? And people say, yeah, buy Apple stock. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that would have been good <laughs> back then in the, in the late eighties. Right. But, um, yeah, question, um, pay attention and, and be patient because, mm-hmm. um, infinite patience delivers immediate results said, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer used to say yeah. that. That's beautiful. And a lot of people don't realize patience is a slow moving process. It's not just waiting and being passive. It's a slow moving process of observing and intaking information and processing it. Mm -hmm. Yet we are just very impulsive, eat, eat, consume, get, go, just go, just go, just go. There's no processing of anything. So you're not even able to get the information properly. And, you know, just to reflect it, you wouldn't be who you are without all of that stuff too. 
So it's remembering that there's some shit that we have to process. So our garden has the manure to, for it to be vibrant. And sometimes, you know, and that's what the reflection is. And that's what learning really is, is the mistakes. It's, you know, figuring out things, feeling things. And, you know, the heartaches open up our empathy, open up our compassion. And that's when we actually feel things and then we can self-reflect and look at those things that we grow into better human beings to stand on a, a, a firm ground of compassion and empathy and, and wanting to serve people in a better um, state. Where can the listeners find you? Good question. The, the main place is my, is my page is canarium.com and canarium.com is, is a place where uh, I put the books that I'm reading at the time. So I have like a book list of things, you know, of, of different books and different authors. I have it broken down by categories uh, of the things that are, that are important to me and that have in some way or another shaped my life. I do have um, an Instagram uh, personal and for Canarium and Facebook, personal and Canarium. As if I know Facebook is like for old people. That's what my kids tell me. It's like, you know, you're on Facebook, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. okay, but anyway, I, I'm 50 and I'm proud. I, I like being 50. I'm 48. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I have wisdom. I have experience. Yeah, so yeah. It's so good. So, good. so I have not um, updated my, um, my social media, the way that I've done my web presence yet. Um, that is part of the work that I'm doing over the next couple of weeks as I'm preparing myself to launch so that everything uh, uh, lines up uh, nicely. So, yes, I have an Instagram account at Canarium Wellness, you know, uh, Facebook at Canarium Wellness, and then, you know, my personal Instagram and, and Facebook page and then the website. And then when the podcast, the podcast can be accessed through the Web page, but it has its own separate living space as well. So that will be then published. And those Those are the areas where... Uh, where I um, I can be found. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? I think I would like to leave with planting a seed. There was a an old business philosopher who said that your next year can be dramatically different than the previous, right? I think people hear that, but don't believe it. I think a lot of people, you know, and I, and I, we're, we're all, we're all, we're all guilty of that in, in one way or another, but it is difficult for the brain and for ourselves to see ourselves 12 months from now doing amazing things or no longer doing certain things that are right now are bugging us down, right? Things that are carrying us down. And I would like to leave with, give yourself a chance to believe that, not just read the meme or the quote, you know. That with you know with small changes today, your next twelve months can be completely different than your previous twelve. Next year could be completely different than your last year. Yeah, you can hear that, and it can make sense. Give yourself the opportunity to believe that that actually could be the case for you, and then see what happens. I want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast. This has been an enriching, vibrant and an informative conversation. I thank you, Raphael, for the contribution you're doing towards humanity. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I look forward to listening to you more. I look forward to listening to Three Thoughts On. As a yes. podcast. Yes. 
remember to be kind and gentle with yourself. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If you found anything of value in this podcast, please share it with a friend. Help lift oneself grow as a community so that we enter into dialogues about our mental health and well-being. It's our intention to remove the stigmas so that there's healing spaces and spaces where we can be honest. Until next time, please be kind with yourself. I appreciate you.